We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, February 28th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. Happy birthday to Tayshawn Prince. There were a bunch of birthdays today, but I chose Tayshawn Prince um, because he's probably the most relevant of all the players uh, who were born on the state. He is 37 years old. DJ, can you name the four teams for which Tayshawn Prince has played in his NBA career? Detroit Pistons, Memphis Grizzlies, and I don't know the other two. Well, he was with the Timberwolves last year. Spent the whole season oh, with Minnesota. Wow. People forget that. Yeah, they had a really, they had a few um, veteran guys like KG they did. and whatnot. Right. Um, the other one, and this one, I never would have gotten either. Totally forgot this happened. I'm not even totally sure that this did happen, but the folks at Basketball Reference claim that in 2014-15, Tayshawn Prince spent nine games with the Boston Celtics. I remember that. I think I remember that. Can confirm. Can confirm. Okay. Looks like he, well, he shot 56% from the floor 
in those nine games. What a run it was! One of the all-time, <laughs> one of the all-time Celtics greats. With the, I mean, with the way they retired jerseys in Boston, he has like a non-zero chance of being up there. February nineteenth, twenty fifteen, he was traded to Detroit. Right um, at the end, and then I will. So Memphis on January eleventh of twenty fifteen, he was on the move a lot that year. Was traded. Um, yeah, to the was, Celtics. So yeah, he, Memphis to Boston to Detroit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But all those were trades. I was wondering if right. he just like signed a ten day or something like that. No, he was he nope. was actually traded. No, he was a uh, hot commodity in 2014-15 Was Tayshawn Prince? We have a lot to get to today. We didn't do a pod on Monday. I, I kind of like that format because there wasn't all that much over the weekend to talk about, and we ended up with with quite a bit of news. Now uh, we'll start with with the biggest news item. That's Michael Beasley went down last night they're calling it a knee sprain that's what every severe injury and basically what every initial knee injury diagnosis is as a sprain I don't know if you've seen the video on this it didn't look good uh it, it looked in my uh someone who's never taken a science math medical class ever opinion uh like a hyperextension it wasn't one of those gross like his knees at a 90 degree angle type of things but he was put in a cast and basically carried off the floor. So it looks like the Bucks might have lost their best player about a month after losing Jabari Parker. So kudos to you for having a college degree and never taking any science classes. Didn't didn't realize you could skirt through without taking. Well, any. I should I should specify I I didn't take any like of those type like uh, what Beyond are those? biology base level. Well, I, the only I didn't take any math classes in my entire four years at UW. Wow. I don't know how that one worked. I never, it always seemed like it was maybe like an oversight and I was just wasn't going to bring it up because I was not good at math in high school. I didn't even take calculus in high school. I, was, I got like a C plus in pre-calc. So how that worked, I don't know. Got lucky on the, on like, what do they call those? Like entrance exams sure, or whatever, placement testing. Um, and yeah, the only science class that I believe I took the entire time was geology 100. It's and entirely possible that you don't legitimately have a degree from the University of Wisconsin. Right I have now. a piece of paper that looks a lot like a degree that I was, you know, that I received shortly after my quote unquote graduation ceremony. So, so I, I was fine to say, oh, yeah, sure. Maybe you hadn't taken any math classes. Mm-hmm. But then when you say you never even took calculus in high school, something's askew here. So uh, yeah. if you're not good at math, come to Wisconsin. Apparently you can still get a degree. <laughs> yeah, uh, they'll just hand them out to you. Back to the man. The man, the myth, the legend, Michael Beasley. Um, you don't know math. You don't know angles. It wasn't 90 degrees, but it was maybe 45 degrees. It was pretty mm. gross. So, Well, it bent like back as opposed to sideways. Right, we're, right? Out of like, our ele- we're so out yeah. of our element here, but I, I know what you're saying. So for the medical experts out there, a sprain is still technically a tear. It's just they don't call it a tear until it's a, a pretty severe yeah. sprain if that makes sense that's so something i never tear. learned in geology so sprain, it was a lot of rock talk yeah sp- <laughs> sprains and tears are the same things so it's still possible that he tore something in his right. knee is is what nick essentially is getting at he had been shooting incredibly well from the field a great spark off the bench he'd been scoring a lot for this team uh really was perfect for where they were as a franchise obviously they're still you know a lackluster team fighting for relevance in the eastern conference after losing uh jabari parker but still he he was a nice fill-in for them um it is rough news it seems like the bucks cannot catch a break some of the lineups they rolled out there last night man it's just brutal it's basically Giannis and four other guys that can't score can't create for themselves and it's it's tough for them to initiate offense yeah, it is. And then this injury came at, I mean, it's never a good time to suffer what could very well be a severe knee injury. But before the game, like literally an hour before this happened, Jason Kidd was, you know, was talking to the media and 
basically said straight up, I think Michael Beasley should be the most improved player, you know, receive that award at the end of the season. And, you know, lo and behold, this happens. Uh, but I think, you know, you could kind of spin this and say he's just setting himself up now for the comeback player of the year award, whether it's next year or the year after. Masters, masters, master plan, uh, long con <laughs> for sure. We'll say he walked off the court immediately, but then once, once like the adrenaline went away, he had to be carried off the right. court. I mean, so. it was like the Jabari situation in a lot of ways, where yeah. like he's he's sitting there all calm, seems like he's fine. It's tough. So he was not fine. So where do these minutes go, Nick? Um, we're <sighs> assuming last night's game they went to Toledovich, Than Makur. Took on what? some of the minutes. That's how you say his name. No, you don't. Yeah, that's it's not Maker. Is he French? It's not. It's not Maker. It's it's Makur, something like that, that. You're joking, right? Like you're not actually going to call him that. I'm, I'm not, not going to let that. I'm going to have to bleep that out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to do it long time. I'll say Maker, but I just want it yeah. to be known that you know it's like, it's not Maker. That's like a. It's totally. An Do you English. really think that's how he would want it pronounced? I, I think the players have a say in this. Like they tell the media and they tell the broadcasters like how they want it pronounced. I think he's a rookie coming into this league, has to prove himself. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to jump people about this. He's just happy to be in the NBA. If you want to say maker, say maker. But that's I'm going to say maker because that's how it's pronounced. I doubt that's how his mom says it. Okay, so he's he identifies as Australian. Or Canadian or Senegalese or Sudanese, sorry. It's I think he identifies as Australian. Maybe you should be saying it in an Australian accent. I don't even want to try. Yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to like say it in my mind before I say it out loud. Bone Mica? Bone make Down Mica? No, that was a little too British. I don't know. Well I mean we'll have to get Thon on the pod. That's really the only way to get to the bottom of this. That's really all I want to talk about uh with the Milwaukee Bucks. Not a very fun team to watch these days. Wait, no, so answer uh, please, uh we didn't actually talk about my question. Oh. So who gets his minutes? Who gets the minutes of Beasley? Because Beasley was out there quite a bit. Yeah. Um well, I mean Beasley had been in the starting lineup uh prior to last night for the last handful of games after Jabari Parker went down. Basically they had been kind of reacclimating Chris Middleton. Middleton got the start last night. So I think part of it is going to be, you know, over the next month or so, Middleton works toward, you know, 30 minutes per game, 35 minutes per game once he's comfortable. So that'll be a large chunk of it. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's it's not a lot of options. Probably some combination of Toledovich um, and Tony Snell, right? I mean, Beasley, you could look at him as a power forward. They had mostly used him in kind of a small forward role. So I don't know that a lot of those minutes necessarily go to Thon Maker. Um, but I, I think, I mean, this is just kind of another nail in the, in the season for, for the Bucks. Yeah. You say that. And, you know, I say that too. And the broadcasters last night on the players only remix of, of TNT, uh, you know, said, well, oh, they just can't catch a break, but you know mm-hmm. what? They're only one game behind the Pistons right. for the eight seed in the East. It is kind so, of wild. Yeah. So, you know, when you said Chris Middleton is going to work his way up to 30 minutes, my initial reaction is no, he's not. They're not going to risk that. But then I look at the NBA standings and it's like, Oh wait, you know maybe they could make a push here. Uh, seven seed, right. six seed is not out of not out of you know possibility because you still got two very good te- players on this team, and if the supporting cast can chip in and do some nice things, who knows? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, an injury to one of one of Detroit's key players, or you know, to, to Jimmy Butler or Dwayne Wade, or you know, something could happen. To, I mean, Chicago's about as volatile as it gets as is. So yeah, I mean, they're not out of it. I was being a little. You know, exaggerating, but I mean, the the basically the point is that Milwaukee constructed this roster um, 
with the implication that losing Michael Beasley is like a major blow and like that should never be the case. <laughs> yeah, that they they backed their way into that happening. Right. But the fact I mean he he made that happen. I wouldn't say that Milwaukee constructed right. the roster. He was one of many pieces and he stood out among the rest. This is kind of what we thought and what we hoped that Televich would have done at the beginning of mm-hmm. the season, really taken on a playmaker's role, um, you know, be a reliable shooter from beyond the arc. That hasn't happened. So I would say before last night, prior to that knee injury, you know, Beasley is what we were hoping Teletovich was going to be. Yeah, I mean, different type of players, obviously, with yeah. Toledovich being Although, more of a, a Although Toledovich but... drove and had a nice little hook uh, in the paint last night, which is... You know, maybe he yeah. felt, uh, you know, felt the need for him to make more plays. Yeah, I, I miss like early season Toledovich was just straight bombing. Like he was kind of like a mix of Steph Curry and Kyle Korver. It's like Ryan Anderson if he didn't make anything. Yeah, like, taking shots. But like from they're all really close. Like he's not the airballing these shots. Yeah. They're they're right there. He just can't quite finish them. And yeah, he has like the recklessness of Korver where he can come off a screen at full speed and just like you know quick jump stop and he's he's just firing. It doesn't even have to be looking at the rim. Uh, but yeah, he's been a bit of a disappointment. Real injury news, real big time implication injury news in the Eastern Conference. Kyle Lowry undergoing wrist surgery today uh, on Tuesday. The Raptors haven't really released much in terms of a timetable. I'm sure they will, you know, after the procedure is finished. But yesterday, you know, in a brief tweet from the the team's official media relations account, they said, you know, hopefully he'll be ready for the playoffs, which. Seems a little bit dicey to me. I mean, we're less than two months from the start of the NBA playoffs. He's undergoing surgery to remove, quote, loose bodies from that wrist. What that means exactly, I'm not sure. Um, but this is not a great situation for the Toronto Raptors at all. And I think the best case, you know, right now is that he's healthy sometime in round one. And like without Kyle Lowry, this Raptors team is obviously not nearly as dangerous. I mean, the, the additions of Tucker and Ibaka are going to be huge. I think probably bigger than than a lot of people want want to admit. I mean, it seems like everybody was kind of was kind of down on those additions and down on Ibaka. But I, you know, I think they were really the only team outside of Cleveland uh, to make you know a real tangible addition that's going to help out. I mean, you can make the argument that Bogdanovich with with Washington is an upgrade for that bench, but not to the level of Ibaka and Tucker. Anyway. If Kyle Lowry is not healthy for the first round, you know, this team could sink back and be a four seed or a five seed and and have to go, you know, play on the road in Atlanta, play on the road in Washington. I mean, even without Kyle Lowry at full strength, it's not impossible to think a team like Indiana could even give them trouble as they did when Lowry was at full strength last year. So if if this were to happen at any point during the season, um, you know, I think that would have been the answer, right? That you lose Lowry. And it's not going to work out. But we already have three games on record of them not playing with Lowry, these most three three games. They won all three. They beat the Knicks. They handled business. They beat the Trailblazers. And they beat the Celtics without Kyle Lowry. So if you were to tell me, um, you know, without him missing any games that he was going to miss games, I would say, you know what, they, they're going to be in trouble for all three of those, the Knicks, Trailblazers, Celtics. Funny enough, you know, teams teams really rally sometimes when their best player goes off the court, and they're kind of playing above their heads. That's incredibly hard to sustain for the last yeah. 20, 25 games of the off. season. Right. It's it's going to wear off at some point. That's, that's a good point to make. Uh, I think they should be concerned because, you know, like I said, Bucks have a good week and some of those other teams don't have a good week, and they can vault up to the 60 just like that. And that also goes to say that, uh, the Raptors' potential opponent in the playoffs is is incredibly in flux. So it, it wouldn't be 
out of the realm of possibility for them to match up against, uh, you know, I, I don't even want to say Boston, but it's it's possible. Things are bunched up so much that, you know, you could potentially have a Boston-Toronto 4-5 matchup. In that case, then, you know, they're going to be in trouble. That being said, you know, they could match up against a Bulls team in the first round too, a 2-7 matchup where I think they would be maybe okay without somebody like yeah. Kyle Lowry. So it, it's really tough. It, it's always matchup dependent. Um this certainly is not good news, and you have to think that Boston overall is salivating right now, right? Cleveland's dealing with a love injury, mm-hmm. um, Toronto with a Lowry injury. It, do you really think, and I know we're going to get into this, we might as well bleed into it now, Boston is kicking themselves for not acquiring Paul George or not acquiring Jimmy Butler because their two biggest competitors are, are struggling, I don't know that they necessarily see this as the reason. Yeah, I think they're looking at Cleveland, you know, more so than than I don't think they ever saw Toronto as like the team they need to get over, you know, to you know, the team that Paul George would help them defeat. I think that's still Cleveland, but I think that you could kind of flip it on its head and like in Boston in some ways it's like addition by subtraction for them. Like they didn't add anybody, but one of the teams they're competing with lost somebody and arguably lost its best player. So you know, whatever ground you could argue that Toronto theoretically would have gained with a healthy roster, you know, with Ibaka and PJ Tucker now in the mix, you know, I think maybe without Lowry and considering those moves, they're kind of back to even or maybe slightly below that, considering how much Lowry's brought, you know, to this team. And they're not going to fall out of the playoff race by any means, but it's, it, it puts things in jeopardy and it's, it's big for teams like Cleveland, Boston, and Washington, especially. So, Here's what makes me think that Boston is still going to make a legitimate attempt, including this coming year's Nets pick to get Jimmy Butler or Paul George, is that, you know, I don't know much about this coming draft class. Everybody knows, even if you don't know that much, that it's one of the best in some time. However, it's a lot of point guards. It's very point guard heavy. And so even if they do have their pick of the litter, you know, the top three options are all point guard guys. And so... You know, essentially by retaining that pick, they're saying we'd like to take one of these nice point guards, right? And so that means you're moving on from IT. And so there's just a lot here that would make me think that Boston wouldn't even want the top, you know, few picks. Like they would rather slot back, draft draft one of these non-point guard options. Um, you know, if they do draft a point guard, then that just kind of throws this whole timeline into whack. Like it extends it a couple more years because we all know that out of all the positions. Uh, point guard is the hardest to just jump in and and, right. and, and facilitate right away. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about drafting a good point guard, moving a lot, moving on from IT, and then waiting a few more years for that young point guard, even if he is going to be a multiple-time all-star, to develop and mature in the NBA. Well, I don't think you need to draft a point guard, first of all. I mean, there's there are certainly other guys who would be in consideration, whether that pick falls at one or whether it falls second, third, fourth, wherever. Um you know, you have Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac. Like, those are all guys who are going to be... But, I like I said, I don't know much about the draft, but nobody's been talking about them as the number one overall pick, so why would you not I, trade back? I mean, I think, jo- I think Josh Jackson could go number one. To but, Bo- Boston's in the unique situation where they don't need to draft the best player available. I know, so so trade back, you know. Sure. I and, mean, that's still... But, like, that doesn't mean you need to trade the pick, like, for Paul George. I mean, it could, I guess, if you wanted to, but, like... So you're saying trade back to like five and then also pick up right. some other pick? So if if they're confident and I mean everything I've seen, you know, you've got the you've got these two point guards as the top, right? And maybe even three. I mean it's it's 
basically Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Dennis Smith, yeah, Josh so, Jackson. I so, mean, Jackson is in that tier, though. You have to like it would not be crazy if Josh Jackson went number one. Like Markel Fultz is not Le- like a LeBron guy, where it's like it would be insane if he didn't go one. Okay, I I just I just think that they you know trading down the difference between the number one overall pick and the number three overall pick is like a legitimate player in the league you could trade down and acquire a nice piece so i if if they're if they're stuck on having isaiah thomas as their point guard moving forward i just don't know why they would want to pick in the top three and especially not the top two well do we know that they are going to stick with it going forward i think that's a fair question to ask. well that's so what they're trying to and you know what i think that's what they ultimately came down with is right. they don't know and that's why they didn't make it on such short notice at the trade deadline right. now they have more time to think on it and see you know how it's going to pan out well the thing about boston is they're in they're in a somewhat of a similar situation to how golden state has been for the last few years with like all these contracts just kind of lining up perfectly and allowing them you know to make the ancillary moves that they have and bring in kevin duran and the cap going up like there's all these factors and part of the reason that Boston, you know, we always talk about them being so wildly deep. And, you know, part of the reason for that is, you know, they've had these these extra picks and have been able to bring in these prospects. But Isaiah Thomas is making six and a half million dollars this season. He's making less money next season than he is this season. His contract is one of the rare ones in the NBA that de-escalates. He was making like seven point two million a couple of years ago. He's gonna make six point two million next year before he becomes unrestricted. He's going to get max or near max money probably max money at this point um you look at avery bradley under contract for 8.8 million next season then he's unrestricted that's a bargain summer that's yes that's top both of those contracts are top four probably four or five bargains in the entire league then you have the crowder contract who a lot of people consider the number one bargain contract in the league he's under contract for three more years after this one at an average of 7.3 million per year for reference alan crab for the portland trailblazers signed a four for 75 deal this past summer. So he's making like two and a half times more per year than Avery Bradley. Like the thing about the Celtics is you have this window, like you can't keep all of these guys, you know, you can't, you can't conceivably sign Bradley to what'll be an 80 or $90 million deal, sign Isaiah Thomas to a hundred plus million dollar deal. Then you have, you know, Jalen Brown's contract is up for, you know, he's going to be up for an extension in a couple of years um it's it's going to be too much at some point and that's that's what you kind of wonder with if if they keep this you know projected top three pick this year you know that kind of sets in motion basically you with a player that you're getting in the top three the assumption if you're a gm is you're getting a star and that means that in four years you're gonna have to pay that player like a star when he's not making a fraction of his market value on a rookie deal um so they have a lot of things to consider and i think that's kind of why they've been so hesitant Right. And so the summation of everything you just said, what it really shows me is that they need to use this opportunity where these contracts are lining up to really go for it now. Because in a few years, you're going to be just like any other NBA team with a regular distribution of your money. Um, And, you know, when people get hung up on like, why would the Celtics not trade away Jay Crowder and and pick and whatever and get, you know, George or Jimmy Butler in return? Because like you said, that contract is so friendly. But you know what? If you don't make use of that contract to add multiple big time players to that roster, then you might as well not have them in the first place. So I think they did that with Horford and it's just, you know, he's been fine, but I don't think he had quite the impact that a lot of people were expecting. Um, And you you made a good point, too, with Crowder. It's like, yeah, nobody's saying that. 
Jimmy Butler or Paul George isn't a better player than Jay Crowder. Like when you hear like they won't part with Jay Crowder, like that's the sticking point in the deal. It's not like they love Jay Crowder that much. They love Jay Crowder at this crazy cheap deal. You're getting a really, really good starter for a third of the cost of some of these other guys, which you can use to, you know, go sign guys like Al Horford. Right. Yeah. Shore up other positions. And so Mm -hmm. it makes sense. It's an opportunity cost thing. Would you rather have one guy at 20 million or would you rather have three, you know, pretty good guys at 7 million? Wow, you may not have taken math courses, but you definitely no, I, took economics. I did. Huh? I did take econ. It did not did not go too well. So, so we're on the same page. Yeah, I took it and did not go well either. That's why I'm talking in front of a mic. Uh, so we're both on the same page that they need to go for it, right? And so that means that something needs to happen this year, whether it's free agents, you know, whether it's trading. But I think that both you and I would both agree, and most other people would, that there are three small forwards that would fit into this particular team the best, and the two we've already mm-hmm. talked about, plus Gordon Hayward. And if you can go out there and get Butler or Jimmy uh, or Paul George, who are you know right. arguably a little bit better than Gordon Hayward, then go do it. Just go do it and fit into this window. Let's not forget right now this year's uh, you know their payroll right now is ranked twentieth in the league. And next year, it's going to be somewhere the same. I mean, they're ditching that Amir Johnson $12 mm-hmm. million dollar contract, which, you know, that probably is his market value right now. Um, but it's, it's you know, for what he's done for them, you know, might as well get rid of it. So they have so much to work with. It's almost debilitating them to the yeah. point where they're frozen and they can't decide because it is going to be so incredibly easy to look back on this exact situation and this point in their history and say, you made the wrong move by a wide margin. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's unprecedented really to have these kind of picks. You know, it's like not only do they have these great contracts, but you're a contending team and you have multiple like three straight years you're going to be getting, you know, big time lottery picks. That, like nobody nobody does that. Every now and then they, I, they're a good they're they're the Philadelphia 76ers if the Philadelphia right. 76ers were the three seed in the East yeah. every year. This would be an easier decision if the Celtics were bad. You know, you yes. you could everything would be a lot easier like mm-hmm. trying to yeah, I wouldn't say rebuild, but trying to build for the future with these picks, but also contend at the same time is really hard to do. And not many teams have ever done it, period, or you know, done it successfully. And what's so funny is that Isaiah Thomas is the perfect metaphor for yes. Boston as a whole, where, yeah, he's really good, right? And so, yeah, this Boston team is really good, but do you really want to commit to him? Do you really think he's going to win you championships? Do you really think that this Boston roster is going to win you a championship? No, and that's why I've been saying for multiple years, Nick, when we knew that this was going to pan out over the next, you know, three, five years, that the the organization is trending upward and they're getting better. But when they finally are a championship contender, you might have one or two guys that are still there from, you know, a couple right. of years ago. Um, and so it's weird that they're gaining all this momentum. But when they finally get there, you know, he might have one or two guys on still on this right. year's roster. I was saying that two years ago, and I still believe right now that you might just have, you know, Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart, and that might be the only two left to show for, you know, when they're actually the team that they're growing to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, the, the argument for Gordon Hayward instead of Paul George and Jimmy Butler, and I, I think Gordon Hayward is a, a step below both of those guys, although he's he's, you know, proven that he's kind of right there. Um, you can just sign Gordon Hayward. You know, you don't have to give right. up anything. You could just add Gordon Hayward to this team. You know, maybe he's not quite the player that Jimmy Butler is, not quite the player that Paul George is, but you're not giving up what you'd be surrendering. So you get Gordon Hayward, then you can still pick up, you know, this this theoretical franchise point guard in the draft, and you can kind of make one run next year 
with Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Isaiah Thomas as your top three. You still have Crowder and Smart. No, you still add, have Bradley. Add, add Jimmy Butler or Paul George. You could have only next well, no. year. Only you don't next get, year. But you don't get to keep all those pieces if you add those. I know, but only for next year. You could have Isaiah Thomas, yes. Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, and mix in whoever. Well, could you they want. could they get Butler and and then go sign Hayward? I don't know if salary yeah. wise could they do. I that? I think they could. I mean, they're twentieth right now. They're ditching the Amir Johnson contract only for next I year. Don't, I don't. I don't. That know would not that. leave them room to keep and retain Isaiah right. Thomas. I th- well, and you couldn't really retain. You wouldn't retain Avery Bradley either. Yeah, you, so uh, that's that's why I don't think you could do that. I mean, you'd have to trade those guys to get Butler in the first place, not IT, but you'd have to trade Crowder, you'd have to trade Bradley, and you'd probably have to trade the pick. I'm just so, saying, if they wanted to put all their chips in and still you know, have a have an honest future, they they could go for it next well, year. I think they can just add Gordon Hayward to this mix. You, so, you, so let's say they burn out in this year's playoffs and make the conference finals lose to Cleveland. You bring in Gordon Hayward. You keep the same team. You add Gordon Hayward. So you go Horford. Hayward, IT, Crowder, Bradley, Smart, Rogier, et cetera. Basically the same roster. You have one year with that. And then going forward, you still have Horford for three more years. You still have Hayward for three or four more years. You probably, you know, you have this number one pick potentially who you're getting this summer. Maybe you renounce IT and, you know, you, you go forth with Lonzo Ball or Markel Fultz as your point guard. Okay. That's all fair. I, I get that. That's probably a realistic way to look at it. Yeah, right? you're going really all in on one year and then kind of transitioning to the next phase. Like, it's not a rebuild because you still have Horford and Hayward mm-hmm. in this scenario, plus this number one pick, plus the Brooklyn pick next year. Okay, can you explain one thing to me? Because you're not the first person to say that, right? So you list off all these players, mm-hmm. and then you tack on Terry Rozier there. And I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get don't that either, to be honest. It. So I know, because I'm hearing it everywhere, and maybe that's why you subconsciously threw him in there too. But like the fact that he's a sticking point and he's a staple on this roster, I do not understand whatsoever, especially, especially when you have guys that are him but have more experience and do it better than him. Avery yeah. Bradley, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown is arguably already a better version of Terry Rozier than Terry Rozier yeah. is right now. So I don't understand why people just throw him into this conversation. This dude is at the end of a bench, and he's not as good as four other guys on his roster doing the exact same thing. Right. I, I just don't understand why is, he's even in the conversation. It is very odd to see a deal or rumors of a deal coming across, and then it's, you know, Ainge would not part with Terry Rozier. It's like, it's, Terry Rozier? Like, come on, he's not that good. I guess if you're trying to find an excuse for it, it's that he's a super cheap contract and, you know, you kind of, the Celtics clearly value these rookie type of deals. But again, you already have Marcus Smart, who's basically the same player. So two years ago, people were saying the exact same thing about James Young. They're like, oh, this, this roster is going to be so good. You've got Marcus Smart, you've got Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and you've got James Young. And right now, Terry Rozier is the new James Young in my eyes. When in two years, we're going to look at the depth charts and he's going to be at the very bottom and you're like, huh. Terry Rozier is still on the roster. Yeah, like I, I don't understand why, why why everybody is making such a hubbub about him. He's he's Terry Rozier. Yeah, I, I think he's different from Young in that like you don't have the like work ethic concerns and you know I mean James Young's supposed to be this like big time shooter and has just not shot the ball well at all really at the, at the pro level. Rozier, I think embodies you know what what a lot of these guards do on the Boston roster I think they see him as kind of a, a mini Marcus Smart type of guy so like I think he's much more likable and it's like he's he's easier to put on the court he's not going to kill you on the defensive end uh but at the same time it's like look at his numbers there there's the numbers don't say that there's much reason that he should be the sticking point in trades right and on top of that like I get I get his role he's great but Marcus Smart does the exact same thing better Avery Bradley does the same thing better 
And like I said, Jalen Brown is, is mm-hmm. the same. There's too many guys in the same mold. Somebody has to be at the bottom of the totem pole, and that's Terry Rozier. I don't, I don't know why he's a sticking point in just like even casual conversations when we talk about how this team is trending upward. Stop including Terry Rozier in, 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 when saying that th- this guy or this team is going to be you know, great and you list off all these players and tack him on. He's, he's James Young of two years ago. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. So going back to the trade talks, like you know, Gordon Hayward thing, the Stevens connection is is obvious. Um, but if they if they are if they do decide whether it's on draft night, whether it's before that, whether they make the pick and end up trading it before the season, whenever it is, if they say, all right, we're going to cash in these assets and bring in a guy, could they do better on the trade market than Paul George or Jimmy Butler? The part of the thing was, you know, if if Kevin Durant was available, for example you give up the Brooklyn pick, you give up the other Brooklyn pick, you give up, you basically name your price if you're Golden State. Obviously, Kevin Durant's not available. Like, is there a player who you could conceivably see becoming available who's better than George or Butler? Like, I don't think that there really is. Yeah, the, that gets into an interesting discussion that a lot of places have had, right? So last week you had Scottie Pippen say that Paul George is a top five player in this league. Is that true? That's not true. No, it's not true. But, you know, when we're talking about this discussion – He's still close enough for somebody to throw that out there. Like Scotty's wrong, but you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not dead wrong. Like you, you can I mean, actually like have that not, discussion. It's not the most ridiculous take, I guess. Right. But. And so to answer your question by giving you a Scotty Pippen reference, uh, you know, I don't think there are that many better players out there. Kevin Durant is such an interesting one, especially because he was on the free agent market. But I, I don't even want to go down this road. But Carmelo Anthony is is not I mean, better. No, He's not been tossed close. around, and it's it's not. And so that got shut down pretty fast. Thankfully, no. I mean, um, you're not. You, you look at some of the bad teams, like you know, Minnesota's not trading Towns. The Pelicans aren't trading Davis. Well, here's the thing: is that in two years you could have Demarcus Cousins as a free agent, and maybe sure. that's the route they want to take. But here's the other thing that comes back around. If Boston wanted DeMarcus Cousins, they easily could have had him at yeah. the trade deadline. And they were easily. totally in talks with the Kings, and obviously it didn't work out, and they decided against it. So saying that they would pursue him in free agency two years later makes almost no mm-hmm. sense. So, you know, I, I think that Butler, uh, Butler and Paul George fit perfectly onto Boston. I don't think that, you know, Kevin Durant is the only player in the entire NBA that would fit better. And, and yep. that's saying something. And they can go get, you know, they kind of have their pick. They can go get one, two, and then you could also argue that Gordon Hayward is probably top right. 10 for players that fit best on this Boston roster. They have their pick of all three. I do think they have to be a little cautious you know, if they're going to bring in someone like that. I think you have to choose between either that guy or Isaiah Thomas, right? Like Isaiah Thomas' usage rate is sky high. Like, Could he play with Paul George? Like Jimmy Butler is even more of an extreme example of a guy who needs the ball. Like, I just don't know if that would work. I, I, I don't know. I don't see them. It doesn't seem like it's a great move to keep Isaiah Thomas long term, even though he's been awesome this year and he's been their best player by far. Like, it's just, I don't know if you can win at the highest level with that guy. You're not the first person to say, person to say that. In fact, front offices across the league have made that decision multiple times, right? I mean, there's a reason why he's been a journeyman to this point in his career. Here's the tough part for for Danny Ainge is you know I think they have a really good relationship and I think Ainge has instilled has instilled a lot of confidence in him and he is playing out of his mind but when you ask the question you know is he going to be the best player on your championship team and the answer is heck no it's just not going to happen. Watch and, your language. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, kids. Um, 
can he coexist with another ball dominant player? Just period. Asking that question as well. And I, and I don't think so. I think that if he loves Boston enough and, and he can really swallow his pride, which is going to be incredibly tough because I think he should be in the consideration for MVP this year. Ideally, Boston would have him coming off the bench as their sixth man on their championship but team. Like, in there's a no years. going back now. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. Like, I think like that thought makes a lot of sense from a pure basketball perspective. And like, even this time last year, it was, I wouldn't say it was realistic, but it was more realistic. Now, He's proven himself to be basically a 30-point-per-game scorer. You can't move that guy to the bench. You just can't, Uh, not at this point in his career at least. So it'll be really, really interesting to see how they handle that. Um, Just, I mean, not that I don't – we know that Thomas can't be – you know, he's not going to carry a team like Russell Westbrook. You know, you put him on OKC, they're not in the same spot that they are right now. You put him on Houston, they're not in the same spot that they are right now. I get that, but – you look up and down the Boston roster, and, and they're not that great. I mean, Al Horford has been hurt for portions of the season. They're a yeah. good cohesive unit, and I would give all that credit to Brad Stevens more so than anybody else. But I I think he's a large, in large part why they are where they are right now. Um, Thomas? Yeah. Thomas. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe the Boston will, you know, get it together as, as a unit, and maybe they'll really challenge the Cavaliers, whether they beat them or not. I think – if they can like take the Cavs to seven games, you know, and get to that point in, in what would probably be the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, maybe then that that proves it that proves something to someone. But you know, if if Kyrie just you know abuses Isaiah Thomas on the defensive end for the whole series, and Al Horford, you know, he's zero and twelve career against LeBron yeah. in the playoffs. You know, if if that just happens again, then maybe Boston reconsiders. Here's the last thing I'll say, and then we can move on to some of the other topics we want to hit on. Uh, the Cavaliers, this is not the first time I've said this, Cavaliers are one of the worst teams in the league at defending point guards this year. Yes. So it's possible that in the Eastern Conference Finals or wherever they play, Isaiah Thomas could average 37 points per game in that series. And then the Celtics, after the series, could still say to themselves, he's just not the guy to get the job done. So, Do you think Kyrie guards him, though, in that series? I think... He would probably end up seeing a lot of Darren Williams. I think he would see a lot of Shumpert, maybe some JR. I know, but like it's it's happened over the course of the year. It's it's not just a Kyrie Irving thing. I mean, they've collectively the Cavaliers have given up some of the most production to point guards. And so it's it's I mean, I understand what you're saying that, you know, when it really matters, they're not gonna be putting Kyrie right. Irving on the opposing point guard, but um I'm just saying that there's there's a way in for Isaiah Thomas to get a lot of production, and then the Celtics after the series, even if he performs individually really well, to say he's not the answer. You know, he he go out there, he gets buckets, and and he has lots of lots of production. But in terms of beating the Cavaliers, he's not quite the answer for this team. It's it's, it's yeah. something they might say at the at the end. Right, and there's this belief that they're going to wait out LeBron and Cleveland and. That maybe window. maybe that's a factor in all of this decision making. I I like to think that teams are more confident in themselves than to just concede the you know we're just going to concede the East for the next three years. Like that doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. And and again, it takes one injury. Um, it just takes one injury to find your way in, and you have to position yourself. That's what the Clippers have done for the last three years, right? You know, God bless them for for knocking on yeah. the door so many times and just getting shut out every single cool. time. But I tell you what, when that injury happens or when something happens, they have put themselves in the position right. to slip right in there into the conversation. And 
that's that's the best you can do. Yeah, they've put themselves in position, you know, to take advantage if an injury occurs. The problem is the injuries have just occurred to their team every right. time, so it's kind of backfired on them. All right, let's move on. We touched quickly on Embiid and Simmons. You know, by now this is somewhat old news. But Joel Embiid out indefinitely after some swelling. He's out for up the in year. He's I, out I would be year. very surprised if he's not out for the year. There's really no reason whatsoever, um, especially with the Sixers entering kind of a low-key tank now. Um, low they, key. they did a good job of couching the the Nerlens Noel sign or trade as – you know, the best we could do, we got two second round picks. Like, yeah, it also made you probably a couple games worse. You traded your best backup to Joel Embiid. Um, so we're going to see a lot of Jalil Okafor down the stretch, which is good and bad, I guess, depending on how much you like watching basketball. Um, ben Simmons, though, the more the more crushing news, will not be playing at all this season. I don't think he's going to play in summer league. No. I mean, come on. We knew this was going to happen. I mean, deep down, probably, but I, I'm just disappointed. I wanted, to see, I wanted to see, even if it was like five games, I wanted to see a little bit of Ben Simmons. Sure. I'm disappointed. We're all disappointed, but like realistically come on yeah this is this is right in line if you had a hundred dollars to put at the beginning of the season i would have said he would have played i mean they it's not like they had really hinted at this like their stance all along and you know teams always tend to be more positive of course was after the all-star break and like as of three weeks ago even it seemed like i mean he was practicing with the team he wasn't going full speed by any means but he was he was literally at practice and was shooting you know doing the early stages of basketball activities so it's disappointing, but you know the right move. Yeah, it's the right move. I so I wonder. I don't want to get in too much into conspiracy theories. If they told him there was a chance he would return, and that like mentally helped him kind of like get back into the swing of things, and even mm. physically, you know, try harder. When in, in rea- <laughs> I don't know. When in reality, you know, he, they knew they were never going to let him step foot on an NBA court this year, and so you know. I, I don't know. Just something to think about. It's not easy to to know that you're not going to play basketball for more than 12 months, you know. And so maybe with the slight glimmer of hope that he could have returned this year, maybe that just moves along the the rehabbing process. It's just something to think uh, about. I mean, if it didn't work, then right? Because like, didn't I mean they had an, a recent scan that revealed you know this new issue? Right. Uh, yeah. Like I, I said, don't think they knew all along. I mean, I could. Okay. I guess I could maybe see that, but I don't. I think they were operating as if he would be back in February or March. So who's rookie of the year now? It might still be Embiid because this is such a horrific rookie class as of right now. Um, but no rookie of the year has ever played fewer than 50 games in a non-lockout season. No, no, no rookie of the year has ever played fewer than 50 games, period. Uh, Vince Carter was the rookie of the year in 98-99. He played 50 games. That was a lockout season. Kyrie was a rookie of the year in 2011-12, played 51 games in what was also a lockout season. Joel Embiid's played 31 games. He hasn't even played 800 minutes. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I wouldn't be opposed to them giving him the award, right? Like who's who would be number two right now? Dario Saric is going to win Rookie of the Year. Here's why: over the last eight games, he's playing 31 minutes, 20 points, nine rebounds, three and a half assists, a steal, half a block, shooting. Almost, almost 50% from the field, by the way, knocking down one and a half three-pointers per game. This guy won the front court battle in Philadelphia. Nick, we literally have been talking about Philadelphia's front court, what they should do, what they shouldn't do for two years. 
Not once did we seriously consider Dario Saric being one of those guys that they would consider that one of their starting front court guys. We just never even we never even talked about him, and he won. I, I mean, I think he was kind of always like in the pipe, right? He was in, in the, the pipe, pipeline. But serious discussions always revolved around Joel Embiid, Nerlens Noel, and Jalil Okafor, right? I mean, at center, yeah. Okay. I, th- I think people saw Saric as you know the power forward, stretch four slash three of the future, right? I don't know. I, I'm not so certain. I, th- I think it was which two of those guys would be the best combination to start for them moving forward, and would they need to deal mm-hmm. one of them to you know just for the sake of you know having right. so much uh, you know potential and value that you might as well trade them if you're not going to play them starters minutes. So so either way, um, Sarge should win. I, I just threw I out those numbers, and, and he's going to come on strong. It really does matter what have you done for me lately uh, in terms of Rookie of the Year and really any other award. Uh, I think he will. Uh, Brogdon just doesn't, he just doesn't put up the production. He's a very, very good player, and maybe if you had you know, who's playing the smartest basketball for a rookie, sure. they might say Brogdon. I mean, Brogdon's and, a lock to finish in the top three, which is still pretty crazy. It is crazy. I think Jamal Murray has an outside chance. I would put my money on Sarge for sure. I mean, we know he's going to play like 35 minutes a game the rest of the year and, you know, all the if he averages 15 points a game for the rest of the season, he'll have it locked up. I think Jamal Murray is every bit as good as Devin Booker was last year. The big difference between those two players is that Jamal Murray hasn't had the opportunity. Yeah. I think if, if Jamal Murray was given that exact same opportunity, aka minutes, that he would have shown just as bright as, as Booker did last year. But Denver didn't move anybody. They're still as stacked as they ever were from day one. He's not going to get the play playing time. Dario Saric has to win Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel Embiid, for for those reasons you mentioned, and the fact that we're just going to forget about him. You know, the basketball is going to get competitive here over the next final months, and Dario Saric is going to be there playing, reminding us why he should win it. He's going to be a Rookie of the Year, and I'm okay with that. He's he's been great this yep. year. He's been solid. That said, would he be the worst Rookie of the Year ever? at the time they won the award like Damian Lillard might be the or not Damian Lillard uh Michael Carter Williams might be the clubhouse leader at least recently but at the time he was averaging 17 6 and 6 with two steals as a rookie like he had a really good rookie year if Dario Saric wins he would maybe be the least impressive rookie of the year of all time that's and fair the same would go for Brogdon or Murray I think too I mean Murray's shooting like 38% from the year or right. for the year no rookie of the year has ever averaged fewer than 10.7 points per game no one in modern era basketball has ever averaged fewer than 11.7 points per game and that was Jason Kidd who also had eight assists five and a half rebounds and two steals so by the numbers we're probably going to have the most underwhelming rookie of the year at least in recent history yeah MCW is definitely the clubhouse reader leader I think Sarge will We'll kind of go into that role. But here's the big difference. I think that Sarge is going to be a solid, reliable power forward in this league moving forward. Yeah. MCW has proven that he has not lived up to rookie of the year potential. So I mean, I guess Tyreek like, Evans is, is another one from yeah. 09, 10. Um, one but to he, like, he earned that. I mean, look at those numbers. As a rookie, 25 and 6. He, I mean, he beat out Steph Curry. He beat out Brandon Jennings, who was awesome that year. I mean, when you look at you know, some of these guys, as we get back into the, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, it's kind of, you know, a little bit, I guess, you know, too early for us to, to really remember the perception at the time. But the names on this list, as you look back at the past rookie of the years, they're not in the same categories you think of Dario Saric. You know, like when Damian Lillard burst onto the scene in 2012-13, you're like, well, we got a star. Same with Wiggins, same with Towns, Kyrie, Blake, D. Rose, Durant. You know, like Saric is the outlier there. I know. I 
it goes back to what I was saying before. Sarge just hasn't got enough love this year. Mm. So while he's not going to fit into the category that you're talking about, I totally agree. But I think that maybe he should get more credit than he's been given. I mean, if this was... I mean, just slot him out with like Zubats out in LA or Hernan Gomez in New York. The media, mainstream media, would be all over Sarich, yeah. but they're just not. They're in Philadelphia, and there's there's other stories to be had, namely Joel Embiid. You know, Ben Simmons being right. hurt and Joel Embiid being hurt is a bigger story than Sarich going out against the Warriors and putting up twenty one seven and seven. Yeah. yeah, if he would have come over last season and done this, it would have been a much bigger deal. Yep. I totally um, agree. So, so you're right. He, he's more towards the MCW range, but moving forward, uh, you know, we're going to look back right. on that and say, <clears throat> yeah, I, I can understand why he would win rookie of the year in the same way we could say that about Tyreek Evans. Did he pan out? No, but you know, that year mm-hmm. was pretty special for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look back at when, when Carter Williams won it, he, I mean, he, well, he, was on swept, Philadelphia. he basically swept the voting. He had 104 first place votes. Oladipo was second at 16. Trey Burke was third in that year like I think we, we might look back and look at this you know this last draft in, in 2016 in the same light that we look at uh the 2013 draft Giannis received one vote for the rookie of the year just didn't uh, play so there, I mean then. there's gonna be someone in this draft you know in five years that will say wow I can't believe player x went so late yeah most definitely um okay so talked about George and Butler we talked about the Sixers uh, let's finish up this point with the Sixers. Uh, this is just kind of a hypothetical that I had heard, and I don't know how plausible it might be. But like, at what point, if you're Philly, with especially the way that this team, when healthy, has played pretty well together with some pretty, you know, meh type of pieces, TJ McConnell, Sergio Rodriguez, like good players, but guys that you probably aren't in your like absolute future plans. Like, at what time, if you know, when do you cut the process off and say maybe we consider trading? either it's a young asset or a package of young assets or one of our picks to go at a guy like Jimmy Butler or go at a guy like Paul George. You know, Philadelphia isn't LA, it's not New York, but it's also not a city that players are trying to avoid. So let me ask you one quick question, then I'll answer the question you just had. Um, Does Philadelphia have a 2018 unprotected Kings pick or is it 2019? 2019. Okay. So that initially would make me think that they could make this linger a little longer and wait for, you know, potentially a, a big name to come along in 2019 and, and, and make it, you know, so where they still feel like they're in rebuilding mode until they get that 29 pick, whoever it is. That's a long time away, I know. Yeah. However, I think it could all be jump-started and they start to make a splash when they kick the tires on Kyle Lowry this offseason. So Kyle Lowry has a has a player option for $12 million heading into next year. He's going to decline that. He is worth more than double that in today's market. Kyle Lowry is from Philadelphia. You know, he might say to himself, I would rather go play at home and and not and you know lose to the Cavs than play for Toronto and lose to the Cavs. That's one way of looking at it. Um Maybe he wants to come home. And so I think you ask him, you kick the tires on him, you say, how would you feel? And then if you come here, we're going to do the best we can to make a splash, add some more pieces. So I think uh, it's left to be determined. I don't think that they have a, as of this date, we're going to you know officially make a splash and go all in. Um, but adding on Kyle Lowry could be the jump start that we've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a roster of, this all hinges on Embiid being healthy, of course, but like Embiid, Simmons, Sarich, and Lowry, 
plus you know potentially two top five picks in this coming draft at least one not bad it's it's interesting I mean it's something that if you're Kyle Lowry or another you know big name free agent you have to at least consider so I mean we, we they have all these <clears throat> they have all these nice young assets but we've kind of ignored the fact that Philly's just basically filled in the rest of this roster with cast-offs you know Nick Stauskas type of guys Gerald Henderson's they haven't really even tried to get legitimate like good NBA players at those other spots when they start doing that and actually have some depth they could be a pretty scary team and I think they've probably overachieved this season at least you know especially when Embiid was healthy and they went on that run before the all-star break yeah I think ideally over the next couple of years some of the players they have now would be solid uh, reserve options off the bench and they'll be battle tested you know and they'll and they'll feel ownership of this organization's progression too. Mm-hmm. And so guys like Robert Covington, um, at some point, Justin Anderson will feel that way. Maybe even if Stauskas is still on the roster, uh, TJ McConnell might be the best example of this. Like TJ McConnell, I feel like he loves Philadelphia and loves where he's at with this organization right now. If this guy's on your roster for four to six more years, like he's really going to take ownership of even if he only has a small reserve role off the bench. And so, you know, they're in an interesting spot where you add a, a, a couple, like two, three more legitimate starters to the mix they already have right now. Um, and then maybe just retain some of these guys because they do feel ownership of what's going on in Philadelphia. Definitely a playoff team in the next couple of years. But again, yeah. does if you were Lowry, would you want to go to Philadelphia and be a part of this when you're 30 years old? Or would you rather stay in Toronto and, and have a semi-legitimate chance of knocking off cleveland we'll see i think if i had to put money on it he probably stays in toronto i think the friendship with DeRozan is very real i don't think it's a kd russ you know working relationship um and DeRozan's obviously locked up long term there and lowry's also not quite the type of player where I, i i don't think he has like his legacy in mind you know like no one's no one's sitting there saying man kyle lowry's 30 years old and he's never even played in the finals Man, the clock's ticking on him. Like, no, he's not that. He's not that guy. Like, I don't think he. He's not like we talk about Melo, where it's he's got to win now or his legacy's on the line. LeBron, you know, in his mid twenties was you know had reached that stage. Durant reached that stage. Like Kyle Lowry, I don't think is in that tier by any means, where he'll feel obligated to give him the chance to win the title the fastest. Not that that's. I mean, every player wants to win a title as fast as they can, uh, but I don't think that'll be the the one and only thing on his mind this summer. All right. Before we move on, I just want to give this one, you know, thing of confidence out there for players in the league that are struggling in their first four years. It took Kyle Lowry was in the league five years before he averaged more than 10 points per game in his fifth season. He finally toppled the 10 points per game mark. So, you know, there's still hope for some of those players out there. You brought up Trey Burke. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. think so, though. Not quite. Not quite with Trey Burke. Yeah, thank you for not taking that where I thought you were going to take that. Yeah, I yeah, saw I mean, your face was worth it. Not that long ago, you know, 2011-12, you know, the Heat had had just won their first title. Not that long ago at all. And Kyle Lowry shooting, you know, 40% as a part-time backup, sometimes starter for the Houston Rockets. Like, at that point, if someone would have told you, like, this guy will start three All-Star games, yeah. or I think, I guess he started two of the last three uh in less than you know in the next like seven years he's going to peak at age 29 30 like, you would be like okay man like there's probably <laughs> 30 other guys you would have said would do that first I mean just looking at his at his stats like it's it's such a weird progression like you know we've probably looked at thousands of players basketball reference pages over the year there's not many that start with 
seven straight lines of fewer than 10 points per game, like you said, and then don't even get to 20 points per game until last season. It's it's just a crazy ascension and and one that I really think hasn't gotten maybe quite as much attention as it deserves. Yeah, I, I was furiously trying to find another player like that. I mean, you can go to the well and talk about Kawhi and Jimmy Butler, but that was only the first couple years. You know, we're not right. talking about five seasons where you don't even. Yeah, it, and with Butler and Kawhi, I mean, even Kawhi is different. I think the Spurs knew all along; they they just kind of brought him along slowly. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy Butler, you always you never knew he was that good, but it was just like, man, this guy's just not getting opportunities. Like with Lowry, he had gotten the opportunities and just wasn't playing that well. So let's each pick one Kyle Lar- Kyle Lowry candidate that you know he just kind of goes silent for the first four or five years and then breaks out maybe after he leaves an organization I guess I'm gonna go with slow-mo Kyle Anderson 23 years old Mm. two four and a half three points maybe if he's on a different roster more playing time he could you know do something like James Harden where he never really wowed us with his, his athleticism but he can find a way to get to the foul line and score points that would be my candidate obviously you're really shooting in the dark here if if you're projecting somebody who's been in the league for 3 mm-hmm. 4 5 years to one day score 20 points per game i mean we i mean we're setting ourselves up to fail but it is kind of fun to take take a shot i think Harrison Barnes you know the okay. numbers that he's put up this year, you know, proved a lot of people, including myself, wrong. You know, not that he's carried this Dallas team to anything great, but he's he's gone from, you know, kind of cast off goat of the 2016 Finals to legit looking number one option, and he's only 50 games into doing that. You know, I think we could look back in four years, and Harrison Barnes, you know, could be a lot better player. He's still young, and I think he's someone that was stuck in kind of a weird role. That without context, his Golden State numbers compared to his numbers this year make no sense. But you know, knowing what you know about those two teams, um, you know, I think it can kind of shape how you project him for the next five, six years as he approaches thirty. A couple other options: Stanley Johnson would probably be a popular one. You could even say somebody like Marcus Smart if he was in a different role where they needed him to score more. They just don't when you have Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford on the roster. Um, anybody else that you're kind of looking up and down? And you're OJ thinking, Mayo. Gosh, yeah, of course. OJ Mayo gets back in the United States and returns to the NBA in two years. I think he'll be well rested. I think he's my guy. Oh, you know who's a good example of this? Maybe Will Barton. Silent for the first three years of his career. Boom! Last year he yeah. comes out, averages fourteen and a half points per game. If he's on a on a like if he's on Brooklyn right now, he's averaging twenty two points per game. Yeah, I mean the thing with with Barton is like he's not a great shooter he's not like a really good one-on-one guy like he's super good at he's like very good at everything he's great good defender seals block shots can knock down open threes um but like with him I don't I can never see him being a legitimate star you know he tops out as kind of like a poor man's Nick Batum which is a really really good player but probably not going to get you to any all-star games Sure. Yeah, I, I guess that's a good comparison. I'm just trying to find any more examples because this is right. one of the better games. And I'm looking back at Lowry's college numbers right now. I, I remember him being, you know, he was a really good college player. He was a first-round pick on, on a great Villanova team. But he only averaged 11 points per game in his last year at, at Villanova as a sophomore. So I, I don't think you saw him coming out of college as this guy who was being underused and was like a big-time scorer at the college level because that really wasn't the case. All right, let's talk buyouts. Yeah, let's do buyouts. So Darren Williams joining the Cavaliers, probably going to be in uniform as early as tomorrow. That means goodbye to any minutes for Kay Felder, which LeBron James is going to be very happy about. 
And that probably means fewer minutes for Amon Schumpert as the fill-in backup point guard, which actually worked pretty well for the Cavs, but is not something that they really ideally wanted to have to depend on. So, I mean, to me, this is probably the biggest buyout addition. You know, we'll see where Andrew Bogut winds up. He's considering Boston, Cleveland, San Antonio, and Houston, expected to make a decision today or tomorrow. Um, I, I feel like Bogut... Yeah, maybe more of a name at this point, just in terms of his health and how he how has been he's a name been. for a couple of years. I uh, people to put too much value in him, even when he was with the Warriors, he was on the court for like the first six minutes of the game, and like I don't, I wouldn't even call him a tone setter, you know. I, I would just call no. him a figurehead. He's I just, mean, they were like objectively better with him off the court, yeah. but started him just to start him and for the jump, and he can't even jump that high. Right. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if they had him jumping. I think I'm sure they, they did. Draymond? I guess I don't know. I mean, I feel like I mean Bogut's got four inches on Draymond, but I would still probably want Draymond doing that. I don't think Bogut like I don't think there's much air underneath his feet. No. when he when he jumps these days. In fact, I can't remember him jumping in the last couple of years. I don't at think all. he's jumped since the Amari Stoudemire push. Which if I were him, Ooh, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the most fun scenario here is obviously him going to Cleveland, right? I mean, it's kind of like payback for the Verjao buyout and sign. Yeah, no, it it really is. Uh, this is unfair. This is not cool. It's totally unfair. Darren oh. Williams is still really good. Andrew Bogut, you know, other people say this, but we basically just said it's it's not quite like he's just like a filler guy, anyways. Um, but this is totally fair. This I, is smart GMing by David Griffin yet again. It's ring chasing. I yes. guess I like it. You know, because we're all kind of rooting for. You know, hopefully Cleveland, like, go ahead and, and reload and, and, and give the Warriors your best shot because they really came back with a great second punch. Um, I guess I don't really know. How many minutes are people thinking that Darren Williams is going to play? Because I think that he slotted in, like, the 14 to 16 minutes per game yeah, range. I think – I mean, I bet there will be games when he plays – you know, into the 20s. Like, I think you can play him off the ball. That's the nice thing about Darren Williams is he's – He's not a great defender, but he's like a passable defender. He has good size, and he can catch and shoot. And he's never really been in a situation where he's just been asked to spot up. You know, like he's always been the one. And you can, I think you can play him. Like with the second unit, if he's out there with LeBron, LeBron's going to be bringing the ball up half the time anyway. So I think he's he's running the second unit for Cleveland if LeBron's not on the floor. Uh, but he can also play with the starters. Like you could see a lineup of Kyrie, Darren Williams, LeBron, you know, Derek Williams and, and Tristan Thompson. So if you're playing him off the ball, you're expecting that like Kyrie is going to drive it and kick it. LeBron is going to drive it and kick it. Williams himself can drive it and kick it. Williams himself can drive it and kick it. I guess that's the layer here that that's nice to have on this team. But in reality, like if you're going to drive and kick it, wouldn't you rather kick it to J.R. Smith and Darren Williams? Yeah. Well, I'm saying for the time being, like no Kevin Love, no gotcha. J.R. Yeah. That's the question. When J.R.'s back and Schumpert's healthy, like, how do You'd those... rather have Jr. on the court, right? You got more size, yeah. better on defense, better yeah. three point shooter, which is essentially like you're not going to have. You're not going to give that many touches to Darren Williams when you have LeBron or right. Kyrie or Love on the court. Williams is shooting not even thirty five percent from beyond the arc, so it's not horrendous. But mm-hmm. he's never in his whole career. Well, once I said say, uh, average above forty percent from beyond the arc. It just seems to me like. 
J.R. Smith is the right fit for this team in the playoffs when it comes down yeah. to it. And so just, you know, great addition on their part, but don't be surprised if he's riding the bench down yeah. the stretch. I, think, of I mean, a, it's like Delhi last year too, or like Delhi barely right. played in the finals. You know, I yeah. think Darren Williams is going to give them really valuable minutes. You know, I mean, it wasn't, but didn't he have like a 50 point game for the Nets, like only two or three playoffs ago when he just like everybody thought he was washed up, which he kind of is. And then just went out and did that. Like he's not going to do that for the Cavs, but you know, he could have you know, last year Channing Fry had like seven threes in a playoff game in round one or two. Like you could see Darren Williams having that type of game, not in the finals, but he he's just there to provide depth. He's there so Jordan McCray and so Kay Felder don't have to play in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I I, I I'm criticizing it too much because obviously it's a great It's addition. a free addition basically for it's, the Cavs. Yeah, it's a veteran minimum right. addition. So it all it all makes sense, but I'm just saying that, you know, 14 to 18 minutes when J.R. Smith is mm-hmm. back on the court is, is probably realistic. Yeah. Bogut, if he goes to Cleveland, is just there to like fight Zaza at some point in the finals. I don't really see him being like, – I think it could be a lot of DMP CDs in the regular season. I don't – I just don't understand why they would even really want him. I mean, if they have an open uh, roster yeah. spot, go for it. But They could use one more big, one more true big, because Channing Fry is basically like a small forward in a center's body, I guess. I mean, like, if, if if it means like Bogut or, you know, the, the Chris Anderson roster spot that you're not using since you waived him, it's like, I guess you might as well add him, but you don't need him. You don't need him, but it, you know what? If you look at the depth chart, they do need another big because Tristan Thompson is their center. and, and Kate, Right. Yeah, so th- they need a big, but, I mean, it's like – we we talked about this I think with with Chris Fedor and we asked him what position do they do they need and I believe he said backup point guard right. and maybe some reinforcement at center that's what they're getting yep. it's an embarrassment of riches to like try to fit in another player like oh they definitely need a, like they don't definitely need a center um, but yeah I, I guess they they could utilize Andrew Bogut but does Bogut is he all rings at this point or does he legitimately want to have a role a defined role because I with think Cleveland, he wants to have a role okay. Because, I mean, look at the teams he's considering. It's a kind of a mix of the two. You know, Cleveland, you're obviously going for a ring. But then, you know, San Antonio, Houston, Boston, those are all contending teams. Um, but you'd conceivably have – I mean, Houston's probably the one where you'd get the most minutes, but I don't really think he fits with them, what they're trying to do, especially offensively. They might make it up and down the court twice before he does Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the Spurs on paper are a good fit too, but you already have David Lee, you have Pau Gasol, you well, have I think, Aldridge, Deadman. I think, I think Deadman is better than Bogut at this yeah. point in their careers. So oh, yeah. I think he's just, regardless of where he goes, he's just riding coattails. Might as well ride Cleveland's right. coattails than anybody else's. Yeah, I think that's kind of where most people think he'll end up. Terrence Jones bought out. Really no indication of where he's going to go. Like I searched his name today trying to figure out if there are rumors or reports of where he might go. And the, there was like six different teams based on like Google news results or like, should the Pacers sign Terrence Jones? Why Terrence Jones would be a perfect fit for the Nets. I'm not out on Terrence Jones. No, he's mean, still a younger guy. He's good. He scored 50 points in a game. Yeah. He's one of those guys who I think Cleveland doesn't necessarily look at him. They already got their Terrence Jones and Derek, Derek Williams. Williams. Like yeah. he's not the guy where you're like, Oh, we can really count on him in the playoffs. But if you're a team like Indiana who didn't make any moves and then you can basically get this guy for free, like sure. Why not? But I mean, they need Thad Young on the court. Thad Young is their LeBron James guarder, their Carmelo guarder. Like he has to be on the court. And then if you, I mean, you want Miles Turner out there too. Like if you play Paul George at the, I mean, two-ish? I think, I think, Terrence Jones doesn't start for you. Yeah. He's he's just in the mix. Who's know? better, Terrence Jones or Lavoy Allen? Terrence Jones. Okay. Yeah. I think there's a spot for him on a lot of rosters. Yeah. Uh, right. I, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of teams out there that 
you know, just would pick him up just to pick him up. You know, it's like he's a good player. Like no one, I don't. The Pelicans didn't really release him because they didn't think he was good. It was just all right. We're kind of switching gears here, and you're not going to play as much. Yeah, Brandon Jennings sounded like he was going to Charlotte, according to Stan Van Gundy of all people yesterday. And then like an hour after that report was refuted. So we're not sure where Brandon Jennings is going to go. Another guy, the numbers aren't all that good, but everyone seems to like Brandon Jennings. Why was he dropped by the Knicks? I don't know. Okay. No idea. Nobody seems I, to All I've seen is that they want to play Ron Baker more. Okay. Ron Burgundy. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I can't, I can't get past that question before moving on to anything else. I think he's a valuable addition. You know, I think, about 12 months ago, maybe like 14 months ago, we were talking about like we literally listed every team that he could still start for. And and it seemed like he could still be a starter in this in the league. And I still kind of feel that way about him, you know, that you know, there's a couple teams out there that he could start and play and see everyday minutes with if it's a good fit. So dropping that type of play, I get I'm sure they tried to move him at the deadline and that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. why buyouts happen and that's why players get waived, but um I, I still don't understand. I just don't uh, get that it. one. Yeah, that just kind of passed through the wire yesterday, and everybody was just like, "I don't know. I don't know, man." Like this is the Knicks. Jose Calderon going to go to Golden State. <laughs> this one I don't really get. You know, they they basically got rid of Briante Weber to bring in Jose Calderon, and like I get the veteran presence thing. You know, he. He can shoot threes when he's open sometimes, but he's like maybe the worst defender in the NBA. And at least with Briante Weber, like you have a chance to maybe try to build him into something, which they've had decent success. You know, guys like McAdoo, Looney, McCaw, Clark have all become like at least decent bench role guys for them. I think when you get to the point where you're at where the Warriors are and when the Cavs are, you look at their roster and they have like one or two young pieces, right? And I think at some point you just want a level of maturity there for the final stretch of the season um, and that you just want to know that everything's going to be all right, that you're going to have a great towel waiver. He's, he's waved some towels before in practice, you know, that he's going to really do everything you can and dedicate himself to the team's benefit. Um, and, and you look at teams like the Warriors and, and the Cavs, and that's what you have. You have a roster of veteran towel waivers that really are not going to get in the way of a team winning a championship. So I'm not, auditing Briante Weber here and saying that, you know, he's a loose cannon young gun. I don't know anything about Weber. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that there's at least, you know, there's least, um, there's just not much room for error. Um, you know, when you're going for a championship like this, yep. and so bringing in Calderon, you just know you're set that roster's out. You don't have to worry about it. You don't worry. You don't have to worry about him asking for more minutes or anything like right, that. Exactly. He's, he's going to do whatever it takes. And I think in some ways this could have been golden state, like looking out for Briante Weber too. It's like, Hey, like we we like you. You have probably a decent future in this league. Where like, it's not like they they don't they can't keep Briante Weber really long term. It was more of it's maybe similar to what the Pelicans are doing with Terrence Jones, where they basically said we will kind of help you if you help us. We'll get your money off the books. We'll help you find a better spot for you personally. So maybe that was something to do with that. I mean, Weber is kind of like a an early career Patrick Beverly type of guy. Like I mean, any team wants that like super scrappy. Like he he like. What, he was going to break the NCAA career steals record before he tore his ACL as a senior. Um, so, He's, I mean, there's a lot to like about him. Yeah, it's it's tough because we're going to get break down colleges here, but it's easier to do on a school like VCU in West Virginia when you're doing full court oh, yeah. press and whatnot. But I, I, don't, I don't put much value in Beyonce Weber. I mean, I wish him the best, but, you know, 
what, what can I say? He's, he's, he's a journeyman mm-hmm. in the NBA. Maybe he'll <clears throat> stick. Maybe he won't. Obviously, the Warriors didn't want to hitch yeah. their wagon to that train. Got some breaking news. Um, you fist Some bumped. of the best. Yeah, this is some of the best news we've received in a while. Michael Beasley has a hyperextended left knee. Going to miss the next three games at least, then be reevaluated. What a break. Wow. That was fist bump worthy. It's huge. Huh? I mean, Huge. It's, it's better than Tara. And this brings the pod round home. Um, so we, we mm-hmm. let our listeners know full story. Uh, so we were pessimistic to start Nick and I, I, I hate to, you know, you know, put shame on that fist bump he just had, but reevaluated in a few days, he could still be out for the year, be out for the rest of the season. Well, I, this is still good news. I mean, it, yeah, this is like, this is like around the same time that they were able to reevaluate Parker and announce that he tore his ACL. So Gotcha. At least he didn't tear his ACL is what I'm saying. That's a victory for the Bucks these days. Michael Beasley, not out for the year. Uh, non-buyout news, Norris Cole to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they find their temporary replacement for Cameron Payne. Cole had been playing for Shandong of the Chinese Basketball Association, same team as the great Jason Thompson, still the Kings career leader in games played, which is astonishing. Uh, also played with AJ Price in the CBA. So, you know, this isn't like some YMCA team that Cole is playing for, but good to see him back in the NBA. Also non-buyout news. I missed this over the weekend. Johnny O'Brien, now a Charlotte Hornet. It's the biggest fist bump of all. I told you, I, I talked to J.O.B. Yeah, he's your new yeah. best friend. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, he is. And You know what? You didn't tell me that you talked to him. I just heard it through some other media thing you did because you were just blabbing. You were so excited about it. Well, I asked him if he was aware that he has this like persona among right. myself slash, you know, Bucks Twitter, Bucks fans. Fanboys. And he said he, said he had no idea, but he appreciated it. And then you kind of wish that you would have talked to him a little yes, more about it. I was it. so starstruck, you know. You spend the week, or I mean, LeBron, eh, Curry, whatever. Like Seth Curry wasn't there, and then you see Job, and you know, there's just there's really no security around him like there is with some of those other no name All Star guys. It was a lot to take in, and I kind of blew it. He's six nine, two fifty seven. You bet there's a lot to take in. Big. He's got a big body. Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> okay. Last thing. First impressions. Boogie and AD. They're zero and three. The Pelicans have looked terrible. They've been putting up big numbers, but it, I think we maybe jumped the gun a little bit too much on this and didn't realize just Who how bad. Who jumped the gun? I didn't jump any gun. Not us. The media at large okay. um, jumped the gun. And, you know, like the first thing when Boogie got traded was, man, they might give Golden State some trouble. It's like, well, one, they need to pass like four teams in the Western Conference before they can even get in the playoffs, and they haven't done anything to help themselves yet. This is just like the same people that in the preseason were were touting the Timberwolves to be like a four or five seed in the West. Like the same exact people are out there saying, "Oh well, hey, I don't want to say, James. yeah, I, I don't want to say it, but uh, I'm just gonna say, you know, that uh, they could give the Warriors some trouble." I'm like, get out of here! I'm not saying they beat the Warriors. I'm not saying, I'm not they, saying the, they beat the Warriors. I'm just saying that I could give them some like, trouble. Get out of here! I, like, I, I don't appreciate it. I don't think that's going to happen. Or it, it's not going to happen. They're terrible. They're a train wreck. Drew Holiday has been rendered useless in whatever they're doing so far, which is just not good. You know, there's Holiday's a you know he's a polarizing point guard, and a lot of people are one way or the completely opposite way. He still he still shouldn't be this bad and 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 not involved this much. So. There's a lot to figure out. They're essentially, you know, doing preseason stuff on the court midseason and going up against teams that have had 60 games to prepare and and gel. Um, so they certainly get that. We're going to see this next year. I have to be honest with you, Nick. I just feel like it's going to be a lot more of the same. 
but they can always flip cousins. We'll he, see. Here's the thing, though. They had to do it. They had to go for yes. it. It's they, still the right move. No it, matter what, it's yeah. still the right move. I, I'm still willing to say it was the right move, especially when yeah. you have the smallest market, the worst, you know, fiscal market uh, out of all the teams in the NBA. You had to try to give somebody for KD or AD to play with. It, it's, it's, I don't see it working out, but kudos to them for giving mm-hmm. it a shot. I want to see them give the Dallas Mavericks some trouble before they give the Warriors trouble because they scored 83 points and lost to the Mavericks on Saturday. It's tough, man. And and unfortunately, you know, this trial by fire process is just brought out for everybody to see because mm-hmm. it happened mid-season, but, you know. They could, I mean, they're, this is something that I think was brought up on the, on the True Who pod yesterday. They're not all that far off from sinking back, you know, into the high lottery. <laughs> they're the they're the third worst team in the West. They're the four. Uh, well, they're basically right in there with Philly and Orlando. As I'm trying to do all this mental math, right now they have the sixth worst record in the league. But they're within like two games of having the fourth worst record. Remember that pick they traded to Sacramento is top three protected. So they could conceivably keep the pick if they if it falls in the top three. So the Kings could also get like a number four pick out of this deal in this year's draft, which is pretty yeah, crazy, right? And that makes you know what's funny is that the Kings have been playing better. They've been right. gelling more. Uh, the you know you and I haven't talked about this. The interviews that they had with Willie Cauley Sign and Buddy Heald right after the first game when when there was no more Cousins, it was an indictment on Cousins. Willie Cauley Sign right. said came out and said you know I have confidence in every player one through fifteen. If I throw it to them, I know they're going to make a smart decision with it. Buddy Heald, they throw it like and then they said thanks Willie uh, over to Buddy and Buddy said you know there's a lot of talk about culture in this organization. And I'm happy to come in and help everybody change the culture and like just immediately just everybody in the king's organization was happy and like everybody outside the king's organization was saying what a terrible trade but what this has actually done for them whatever it feels like there's a weight lifted off the whole organization's shoulders and also this pick might end up being pretty good buddy healed might Mm -hmm. be you know somebody who could turn into a multiple time all-star down the road and you know revisionist or not even revisionist history we could come back and look at this trade in 10 years and say yeah, that, I, I see it. If they get a top five pick out of this, Vlade is going to come out looking pretty good. Um, but if if the Pelicans, you know, do flop, like let's say they lose four more in a row and they, they it's just not going to happen and they're not going to pass Denver or Portland or whoever it is to get into the playoffs, like getting them getting the nine spot or the 10 spot doesn't do anything for New Orleans. And obviously they want to make the playoffs. That's first and foremost the goal because the lottery is the lottery and nothing's guaranteed. But, you know, if you're able to – like this could go really – two extremes for the Kings. Like if you end up with a top five pick, it's wow, this was, this actually wasn't so bad of a trade as, as maybe we thought. If it falls in the top three and the Pelicans get to Marcus cousins and get a top three pick, then the Kings are back to being on the hook for why would you even give them the choice of protections on this pick? Yeah. I don't even want to go into it too much, but it is interesting that, you know, public perception of that trade could fall one way or the other pretty quick here, mm-hmm. depending on how the Pelicans end up. Yeah. And how funny it would be if they ended up so bad that it, it looked it's, bad on the Kings. Things again. aren't good right now. They don't have the easiest schedule going forward either. And some of the other teams in the in the kind of middle tier of the West do. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle. But I, I mean, for the sake of basketball, I want to see Boogie and AD in the playoffs. Should we talk about technicals and Boogie? I mean, he's gonna miss yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, he's not going to play Wednesday, so he's at 18 for the season. He can get one more and be fine, but then once he gets to 20, it'll be another suspension, and it's going to be like that every two the rest of the way. Uh, over under more suspensions, I'll say 
one and a half on more suspensions, which means four and a half, five or whatever more techs for the rest of the season. Do you think he's going to be suspended at least two more times because of exceeding? I think one more is where I would. One more? I think I think he'll either not be suspended once the rest of the way or it'll be one more. Okay. We'll see. If I mean, if they keep losing, then all bets are off and he could be suspended like six more times. I thought and I hoped that maybe he would change his ways, but DeMarcus yeah, Cousins right. is DeMarcus <laughs> Three Cousins. Games in. And, and the fact that the Kings were only able to get so much for him in, in return really makes sense when you see that his old ways and his old behavior on the court hasn't changed at all, even when you would think he would want to put his best foot forward and be on his best behavior in front of a whole new market, in front of a new team, new teammates, coaching staff. Hasn't been the case yet. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I... You know, the way that that one happened, too, like less than a minute into the game and what was a pretty, you know, non-confrontational situation as far as those go. And yeah, I, I kind of thought he might get it rescinded because that was, in, in the grand scheme of tech, of Cousins' technicals, that was pretty mild. But when you have the reputation that DeMarcus Cousins does, you can't expect to get any favor at the league office. Yeah, most definitely. I Bonehead. It's a bonehead move regardless. Like, you can't even put yourself Don't like to throw the B word around like that, but there's really no other word to use in this situation. He's being a bonehead. Bonehead. All right. We have Wheat Hotchkiss from Pacers.com set to join us tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Talk to him uh, about the future of the Pacers organization after they decided to hold on to Paul George at the trade deadline. So looking forward to speaking with Wheat tomorrow. Uh, That'll wrap it up for Tuesday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.